Alrighty. Last week, or last time, we had talked about grace as we are going through this series on how to make the Christian life work. Um, because there's a lot of practical questions. Um, people struggle with, well, how do I bring forth the fruits of righteousness? How do I bring forth the fruits of the Spirit? How do I overcome sin and these things? And so this series, as I believe I stated last time, is meant to walk us through the basic things that you need to have all of that work in your life. And so where last week we had talked about grace, the power to do it, and like as how um, at Ellerslie Mission Society, Nathan Johnson and Eric Ludy and them, I like how they put it. It's grace is the power to do it. God working in your behalf, the things that you cannot do for yourself. And so this week we are going to be talking about faith. Um, the first week we're going to be talking about faith. Next week we're going to be talking about faith also, but this time we're going to be talking about faith, our work as believers. And so let's start by looking at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, where we read, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, even looking at that passage, you can see where it says, therefore, having been justified by faith, there's our part, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so you see there's a condition going on here, which even goes on to say it again, through whom also we have access by faith. And so you see this condition of faith on our part, and it goes on to say we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So, God's part is grace. Our part is faith. That is the sole condition of the entire Christian life. God working by His grace in response to our faith as we receive and respond to the message that He has given to us. Yes, the Spirit of God draws you. No man comes unto the Father except the Spirit draws him. Absolutely. But your part is to respond by faith, to believe and so, let's consider that for a second. Faith is a noun. The word faith is a noun. When you have faith, you are believing. And so, the verb form of faith is believe. We don't say, I am faithing. We say, I believe. And so, just, just an important clarification, um, where faith and belief um, are often just translated from the same Greek word, pistis or pistuo, the verb, and as the New Testament is written in Greek. Um, and so faith and belief are the same thing. And just, just stating it again, you have to really lay hold upon this. Faith is the sole condition of salvation. It is your part as a believer to believe. I mean, we call ourselves believers. And so we that's why we're called believers. We believe. We believe the Word of God. We believe the message of the gospel. And it is God's part to do the rest. Uh, let's consider John chapter 6, verse 28 through 29, when the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they sent people to ask God, um, Christ a question. It says in uh, John chapter 6, verse 28, Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? And Jesus gives them the only answer. 
Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And so your entire part is to believe. That is the sole condition, to make your Christian life work. And I think on a certain level, those of us who have been exposed to the Word of Faith movement, especially here in America and overseas especially, it's been really damaging. Um, some friends that I have in Africa, it's just the dominant view that's out there. We have to be careful that we don't allow perversions of truth to cause us to, as A.W. Tozer said, to back into our theology or our beliefs, where you just respond to other people's perversion of it. You have to stand where the Scripture states, and yes, draw the lines where God draws them. But don't be afraid to talk about faith, okay? But the simplest way to understand faith or believing is to think of the idea of trust. Usually when we do first-year Greek um, for studying the New Testament, they will give you a basic gloss or basic definition of the Greek word. And, and they'll usually say faith, trust, or belief as the definition or the gloss for the word underlying that Greek word in the New Testament, pistuo. And so trust, when you trust, you are relying on the reliability of someone or something else. Um, you have to think about it that way. Um, for example, when you sit in a chair, right? Um, if you sit in a chair, you are demonstrating that you trust it. You trust that it is able to perform the task for which it is there for, to be sat in, right? And in another sense, the fact that you trust it to hold you up is demonstrating the reliability of the chair. If you didn't believe that it could, then you wouldn't try to sit in it, right? And so the very fact that you attempt to sit in it shows that you believed that it was able to hold you up, right? Now, in the same manner, our faith in God is a demonstration to the world that he is reliable, right? And so you have to think about it this way. We rely on him because he is reliable. We trust him because he is trustworthy. We have faith in his word because he is faithful. If we don't rely, trust, or have faith in him, what, what are we saying that he is to the world? Whenever the world sees us just as anxious as everyone else, whenever it sees us fretting like everybody else, what does that say about God? It really, in essence, by our actions, we're saying that he is not really worthy to be believed. And not trying to condemn anybody, but I know in my part, there's been many times where I know that I did not act in a way consistent with faith. I was worrisome, I was anxious in a way that I shouldn't be as a Christian. And so, we rely on him because he is reliable. Okay? And this is the demonstration to the world that he is reliable, the fact that we trust him. Now, I want to paint a picture for you, those of you who are listening um, by audio. I want you to imagine a picture of somebody walking on a tightrope across, you know, a very, very deep ravine. Okay, tightrope, you know, where they string a rope, a certain kind, across, and they have these daredevils who would just walk across the rope, right? You sometimes with the harness, sometimes without a harness. And they have to keep their balance in order to make it from one side to the other. Now, I want you to imagine 
that there are three individuals. This is a very common and a very old illustration. I want you to imagine that there are three individuals that have to cross that ravine. The first one's name is fact. The second person's name is faith. And the third person's name is experience or or feelings, if you want to alliterate it. Faith, fact, and experience. And so fact just walks right up to the line and just walks straight across. No effort at all. It just walks straight across. Balances perfectly, makes it all the way across. Now you, let's just say you're the second person, you're faith. Faith can't do it. Can't do it in and of itself and knows it. And so, but it fixes its eyes and it watches fact and just follows and does exactly as fact is doing. And because of that, faith can make it across and balance perfectly on that tightrope also. Now, behind fact and faith is the third one experience or feelings. And experience. Is just loud and boisterous, and all it does is just try to scream and just throws out all these things, saying, oh, you're stupid, you shouldn't be going across this, oh, it's impossible, oh, you're going to get yourself killed, oh, look at all this, and just making all sorts of noise. Now, as long as faith ignores experience and keeps its eyes on fact, it, faith can make it across and just walk perfectly in alignment. Now, this is a very simple illustration. Like I said, it's a very old illustration where our faith must follow the fact of God's Word. And then what happens is our experience will be brought to agreement with that Word. And this is very important to understand. When you are needing to follow God, which really is always, you have to keep your eyes fixed on the Word of God, the objective written Word of God, because it is unwavering. Christ said that if you want to be the man who builds his house upon a rock, you must hear the words of God and do them. You are relying on the truthfulness of his words. He says, if, I, if you do this, I will do this constantly. Well, your part should be, I believe that he is able and willing to do what he has said. Therefore, I will believe him, and I'm going to put all my eggs in one basket. I'm not, I'm not going to hedge any bets. I'm going to do exactly what God says, trusting that he will do as he says he would. That is the basis of the Christian life. There, So many times through insecurity or distraction or just bad teaching or just neglect or just not being around anything to know any better— we focus so much on the simplicity of the gospel, which absolutely we should never take our eyes away from it. But there's, a, there's so many other promises to the Christian life that we are to claim about overcoming sin, about prayer, about relying on the Spirit of God to give us utterance, all sorts of promises that he has given to us to which we are not relying on God to, to fulfill. And so just remember this, and I'll be referring back to this throughout this series, this illustration of faith follows fact, and experience will be brought to conformity. If faith is following, if in, throughout your, your days and in your experiences, you are in, your, in the sense of what you have to deal with day to day, you are firmly fixed in God's Word, 
this is the way it is because this is how God has said it is, right? And your experience, times in the past where you failed, times in the past where you were hurt by this or that, all you were, you were ignoring it. You're ignoring your feelings. You're ignoring your experience. And you were keeping your, like, no, this is what God said. This is exactly what God says. This is true. You will find you stay there. You abide in that position, that posture of your soul. And your Christian life will begin to work. So let's move on. Let's talk about our position. Now, our position involves really just First Corinthians fifteen twenty-two, where it says, For as in Adam all die, so, or in the same manner, also in Christ all will be made alive. First Corinthians fifteen twenty-two. Now, before you were a believer, you were in Adam, right? You were according to the fleshly ways of this world, your flesh, that your physical body and its urges, the principle of sin in you is what was guiding you. You did not have any life from God. You did not have the Spirit of God. You were completely alienated and separated from God in that sense. And you walked after Adam's pattern, selfishness, fleshly, sinful. But once you place your faith in Christ, you hear the gospel, you believe it, and you repent of your sin, and you place your trust in the veracity of God's word, the message of the gospel. You are born again to be renewed in Christ's image. You are being made to walk after his pattern, selflessness, spiritual, and righteous. So where instead of being conformed to Adam, you are being made to be conformed to Christ. You are being renewed after the image of him who called you, the New Testament says. You were to put on Christ. You're almost like a cucumber that is put into a jar with vinegar in it, and you are gradually being changed from a cucumber into a pickle. That's a good North American illustration for you. And so it's as long as you are in Christ positionally, they're talking about spiritual things here, then this the power of sin over you has been taken care of. And so we're going to be talking more about position later. But suffice to say, this is something you need to begin thinking about in these passages. Now, because in Adam, the lost, they are dominated by death, spiritual death. They are dominated by the flesh, carnality, by sin, by the law, the law which can only tell you what is right, but you, it gives you no power to do it. But as soon as you are placed into Christ by your faith, the principle of life is working in you. The Spirit of God is working in you. Righteousness now becomes the state that you are being conformed to and being made to be walking after. And then grace is what you are under, not under the law. This is talked about in Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 8. And that process of you putting your faith into Christ, that your faith into God, believing the Word of God, the message of the gospel, is repentance from sin, dying to self. Because the principle of sin in you, sin is selfishness. Self is what is leading. And in Christ, it's selflessness. Christ is the only thing. It's like for Paul says, Philippians 1.10, for to me, to live is Christ. It's no longer my will be done. It's now God's will be done. Now, dying to sin is necessary to be in Christ. 
Dying to self, I mean, sorry. There is a death to self that has to happen. When I mean self, I mean you, yourself, you, the sense of I, this is my life and I'm going to lead it the way I want to. That, that principle, that kind of attitude, that, that comes from your sinful nature. That has to die. And you are, are walking in selfishness when you were in Adam. That must die. You must give up self to God. It's no longer my will be done. It is now thy will be done. And if there is no death to self, then there is no abiding in Christ. Because you are trying to do it. Now in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26, we read, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And Christ states this as a, a condition to belonging to him. It's denying self. You, whenever you took up your cross, it was a symbol of death. Nobody who took up their cross in Christ's day ever put it down. It was you were understanding, I'm in this until death. And you understood that it was death. Death to yourself, your selfishness, your seeking any kind of independence from God. And you must lose your life ambitions, goals, purposes, etc. in order to be a partaker of Christ's life. And I mean that in the sense of, I'm not saying go quit your job and go sit in a hut somewhere. It's just you are giving them to God, saying, Lord, if you want me to change any of this, it is your decision to make, not mine. Whatever you are trying to gain, personal pleasure, ease, comfort, wealth, reputation, etc., all of these are given to God. His will be done. That is your new will by your intention. Your conscious choice is to give these to God and say, Lord, whatever you want me to do with these, I will do. And you are either in Adam or in Christ. If you are in Adam, then you are in the flesh and the law of sin and death is working in you. But if you are in Christ, then the law of the spirit of life in Christ is working in you. This is where overcoming sin comes from. You have to be in Christ and have the spirit of life working in you. When we read in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 2, we read, there is Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus' position. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. If you want to be made free from the burden of sin in your life, the power of sin, you need to be set free by being placed into Christ. And you need to stand upon that position. Um, we can read also in Romans chapter 6, verse 8, where it says, Now if we have died with Christ, talking about your position, we believe that we shall also live with him. Now, again, we're going to talk more, the whole thing probably talking about position here in a couple of weeks. We can read also in 2 Timothy 2.11, the same kind of statement is made by Paul. It is a trustworthy statement, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. Now, how can we die with Christ who died 2,000 years ago at this point? It's talking about your position. Okay, now let's move on to 
a very important thing that you need to wrap your head around. And I like how it's stated by those at Ellerslie Mission Society, where you are reckoning with truth. Um, and reckoning not in a sense of like Southern America, Southern uh, United States America, where you say, well, I reckon. Like, well, I guess so. No, 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 no. That's not what we're talking about. Let's talk about how a Christian reasons whenever you come to situations. Well, it begins with the idea of what God is, right? We know in Hebrews chapter 11, it says that he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, right? If so, if you want to come to God, this is one of the first things you must believe, that he is. Whenever Moses came and he saw the Lord speaking out of the burning bush, and he said, what is your name? And the Lord said, I am that I am, or I am whom I am. He's talking about I am self-existent, I am. And so he says, I am, we're like, yeah, he is. So you must first believe God is, and he is exactly as he says he is. As he describes himself, he is that way. You must begin there. Next is, well, God is truth, right? Well, we know that Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes into the Father, but by him, John 14, verse 6. But we also read in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, where it says that God cannot even conceive of a lie. And in the Old Testament, Numbers, and several other places, where it says that the Lord is not a man that he should repent or change, in the sense of he's not going to say one thing and not do it. And so you must begin with God is, and then you must believe, well, God is truth. It's impossible for him to lie. And then what about the written word of God? Well, the word of God is God's word. And so if the written word of God has come to us from God, the same God who is, the same God whom it is impossible for him to lie, well, that means the written word of God reflects that same nature. That means the written word of God must be true in what it claims. And so that means God's word is. That means it is exactly as it claims to be. And that means that God's word is truth which means it is impossible for it to lie. And so you need to follow this line of reasoning. God is. God is truth. It's impossible for him to lie. The word of God is God's word. It belongs to him. It is a very reflection of his nature, which means the written word of God is true, and it is impossible for it to lie. And so let's consider Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17 through 18. In the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose or the immutability of his counsel. He interposed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have a strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. God has given us promises. It's impossible for God to lie. You need to stand upon those promises by faith. And this is where we need to begin to reckon these things as true. And so when we say reckon, it comes from the, the word in the English translations as consider, uh, this 
translated as um, credit, to reckon, to consider. Um, it's the Greek word logizomai, um, which means to determine by mathematical process, reckon, calculate, count, take into account, evaluate, estimate, look upon as, think about, consider, ponder, let one's mind dwell on, think, believe, be of the opinion. Now, this is the action of your faith, to reckon, to consider, to credit it as though it is this way, right? This is the action of faith in your soul. You hear the promise from God's word. You believe the promise, and you reckon or consider it as so. You stand upon it as true. Just quoting scripture is not enough. Knowing scripture is not enough. There is an action of your soul that says, no, this is true. And when experience or the enemy stirs up your feelings or past memories of experiences that have gone badly or where you failed, right? And whenever the enemy begins to stir those things up, it's like, well, no, this isn't that. Well, maybe it's not this. Maybe you didn't get it right. You're like, no, this is what God said. This is true. You begin to reckon truth. Now, consider uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 11. We're going to look at some place, uh, verse where it says this. It uses this word. Romans chapter 6, verse 11. I'll read from the New King James Version. It says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, this is a very important thing I want you. One, because you have to take understand it's a commandment. If you believe the gospel, if you have repented of your sins and are trusting solely in what Christ has done for your salvation, well, then you meet the qualifications of being in Christ. If you're not living in willful rebellion to him, if we're not, you're not living in sin, you need to begin to reckon yourself as dead to sin. Why? Because you're alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so you begin, this is where you need to begin to actually understand that if you are alive to Christ, that principle of sin working in you has been severed. It cannot force you. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 7, for he who has died has been freed from sin. When did you die? You died to sin whenever you were put in Christ. You died to yourself. And if you're still under the bondage of sin, it's because you're struggling against that. You have not dying to yourself. And so you need to begin to reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin. Uh, for instance, um, let me go through a reckoning illustration. Eric Ludi uses this whenever you're at Ellerslie Mission Society. And I'm referencing him a lot because this is a really, this is just a teaching that them at Ellerslie really focus really well on. Um, and so here's the illustration. Um, if you have somebody standing, this works better whenever you're in a, a, um, a setting with people physically present, okay? So just imagine that you come to me, right? You have no money in your pockets, right? And imagine that there's somebody outside the door of the room that you're in, and they're waiting for you. And they say they come every single day, and all they do is they beat you up, right? And they say, I want $5, right? And you don't have $5 today, Right? But you tell me about this, and I'm like, well, I've got $5. And so I ask you, and I say, well, do you have what you need in your own pockets? You know, do you have in your own pockets that $5 you need? And you're like, no. And I give you my $5, right? And I say, hey, 
In the other room, on the table, is a $5 bill. I want you to have it. Go take it. It's yours. I give it to you. Now, it's in the other room, right? I've already given it to you, right? But I can ask you this question. Do you have what you need in your own pockets? No, your pockets are still empty. But do you have what you need? Well, yeah. Well, how do you have it? By faith. By faith in what? By faith in my word that I said you could have it, it is there. And if you believe me, if I am trustworthy to you, you know that your need has already been met, right? And so I could sit there and be like, okay, it's yours, go take it. And you begin walking to the other room, right? Literally until it is in your hand. It's as good as yours. It is there. It's already. You were just waiting for it, right? While you were pursuing it. You're walking into the other room to grab it. And until the moment that that, dollar, that $5 bill was in your hand, it was already yours by your belief, by your accepting my gift, right? Now, I want you to consider this. That's exactly how it is with us and the Word of God. God has given us promises. He has given us statements that he says, this is true. If you do this, then I, right? I have given you these things. I have provided these things for you in Christ, right? Take a promise, believe it, and reckon it so by faith. And yeah, there is a time where you are waiting, you're pursuing it by faith. In Christ, it is already yes, right? In Christ, it has already been provided. All things necessary for life and godliness have been provided for us, the scripture says, First Peter. And it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, we're given all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So what you need to begin to do is to take the promises of God, believe them, appropriate them, accept them by faith from God, and begin to reckon it so by faith, stand upon them. And when the enemy, whenever the enemy stirs up your experience, the loud cries of the flesh against you saying, no, you cannot, or you, or remember what happened when this or that, right? Or look at what that other person did, right? Or people begin to mock and say, oh no, you can't believe God anymore. That's ridiculous. You say, no, God said it. It is true. And you stand upon it. This is how the Christian life, this is how you begin to overcome now consider Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. For you are complete in him. You see all these references to position in him, in him. We're talking about Jesus, who is the head of all principality and power. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. That means it's spiritual, not physical. By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. Notice what it says. Buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. So where is your faith placed? In the f God's working. In what? What is that? That's, that's grace. God working on your behalf what you cannot do for yourself, right? You are trusting in God to do what he has said. Your faith is in his working according to what he has said, right? 
And so it is through faith, when you read this passage, look at this, that you died with Jesus. His death becomes your death, and you are raised to walk in newness of life. His life becomes your life. This is what they used to call the exchanged life. You give him your useless life, and he will give you his resurrection life. This is overcoming. This is a life of victory over sin. So your part is to exercise faith in the working of God. Now, here's some homework. Begin intentionally denying yourself in the sense of let God make your decisions. Now, I'm not talking about this just sit around and pray, you know, about what you're going to eat for breakfast, okay? I'm talking about the decisions about, well, how do I spend my spare time, quote-unquote spare time? You remember, you, you don't have any spare time where you don't belong to God. Everything is His, and you need to begin to look at it that way. Your life is not yours to lead, right? Start with the objective Word of God. He has given you these things. If there's decisions or things in your life that you need to um, seek God's wisdom about, start with what he has already written in his word. And then above that or outside of that, things that are not addressed, seek him in prayer saying, Lord, lead me in this. I need your wisdom, right? James says, if any man, if any one of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Okay? Next, I want you to begin reckoning Romans 6.11 as true. If your faith is in Christ, you've truly repented of your sins. You're not living and practicing sin in your life. You died with Jesus and are alive to God in him. And I want you to kind of just think of that verse. You died to sin. That, that leading principle, it cannot force you to sin. If you belong to Christ, you don't have to live in the bondage of sin. Through Christ, through his working, okay, not your life, his life working in you. And also remember, it's not about what you feel, what's true. God said it, that settles it. Everything else is a lie. Anything that would bring you to doubt God's word, anything that would bring you to question his promises. Now, obviously, you need to make sure that you are living right, that you are believing that you are not living in sin, that you are seeking the Lord, you're continuing in the Word and in prayer daily, okay? And you can't take things out of context. Make sure that you are reading the promises in the context in which they were given. You can't just claim something and be like, well, you know, this or that there, and, you know, all things belong to me, Christ said, you know, and you take a passage completely out of context. No, make sure it's in context, okay? But everything that would believe, that would lead you your feelings, past experiences. The enemy will, will leverage feelings and emotions against you. Whenever you're irrational, whenever you're tired, whenever you're discouraged, whenever you're frustrated, the enemy is going to use these things to keep you from just sitting and standing upon the Word of God. Now, let's just read a couple verses. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but are fellow workers for your joy. For by faith you stand. So you stand in Christ by faith. You want to know how you have your position? By faith. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 or 2, we read it at the beginning. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, holding on what he has done, your faith and what he has done, through whom also we have access by faith 
into this grace in which we stand. So how do you have access to the grace of God? It's by faith, we read. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, Hebrews 4, 16, Let us therefore come boldly or confidently to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When do you need grace? Whenever you're tempted? Whenever you're struggling with sin? Whenever you're in prayer? Whenever you just don't feel like God's there? Those are times of need. Go to God boldly by faith in what Christ has done. I think we'll end there. So next time we'll look at faith from a practical standpoint, a little bit more practical, and we'll consider the example of Abraham. Thank you for listening to Remnant Bible Fellowship. We do hope and pray that you would commit your life to Christ and continue in Him. We desire to see people seeking Jesus Christ and coming to know Him personally. If you have questions about salvation, the Bible, or your own walk with Christ, please contact Brother Jonathan by email. Brother John, that's J-O-N, at remnantbiblefellowship.com. That's Brother John at remnantbiblefellowship.com.